One second here. Okay. Okay, so what I want to do here is two things for you. I want to show you an example of how to do what I've just termed cultural apologetics. I don't know if that's a real thing. Well, it is now. It's a term I just made up, and it's how to take things in the culture and show how they point to God. Because I think that's something we need to be doing as Christians. And productivity is one of the chief things that we can do that with, and I'll show you why and how. And then I also want to leave you here with a practical productivity application. And it's all going to, as I take you through the cultural apologetic part of things, things, it will culminate in the big productivity tip to take away from here. So cultural apologetics, what do I mean by that? Well, part of the vision for this book is to help non-Christians. The chief purpose of the book is to help Christians. But when I started working on this, I saw a lot of connections between productivity and the need to live our lives for God. And I saw that if a person is naturally concerned about getting things done and being productive, it would lead to a desire to consider the claims of Christ. And I'll show you why that is. And so I wrote this book in such a way such that even non-Christians might find it helpful in itself, and as they find it helpful in itself, might be willing to give more consideration to what Christianity has to say. And so as a result, I've sent this book to business thinkers such as Jim Collins and Seth Godin just to help them because it's right and I want to help them, but also because I want them to see a winsome presentation of the gospel and how being concerned about the things they're concerned about naturally leads to thinking about God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you through, real briefly, the four, uh, the four phases of time management and how they are trying to accomplish something that only God can give. And as I show how they point to God, you'll see an example of cultural apologetics, which is interacting with the culture in a constructive way, not chiefly a critical way, but a constructive way, taking what we can learn from it, and then showing how the gospel fills out the foundations and how what the culture has learned is ultimately only fulfilled in the gospel. And thus, cultural people who agree with these things would want to give a serious consideration to Christianity. So the, que- the, the goal of time management in many ways can be summed up as this, the quest for peace of mind. How to have peace of mind and fulfillment in life. That's perhaps the chief aim. And in, this is important because, for example, a lot of people have realized that even when they feel like they've been productive with their lives and have everything they want, they still feel unfulfilled. For example, Roger Merrill is a time management expert who worked with Stephen Covey. And he speaks of a man who was vice president of a multinational corporation. And this man had a great family, a great home, and a great life in general. But nonetheless, he came up to Roger Merrill after a time management seminar and he said, My life is full of good things. A nice house, a nice car, a good job, a busy life. But when you asked me to think deeply about our lives, to come to grips with what matters most, it really brought me up short. 
This guy seemingly had it all, but he knew he was missing something. And most of us can relate to that. Why is this? Clearly, time management itself wasn't able to solve the problem for him. And that's when Stephen Covey started addressing that type of problem. Now, one component here is we experience lack of fulfillment when there's a gap between what is most important to us and what we are actually doing with our time. So we're spending our time on things that aren't ultimately important to us. We might get a lot done, but we're still going to feel unfulfilled because we're not engaging our values. On the other hand, when what we actually work on and accomplish during the day is in accord with what matters to us, then we tend to feel fulfilled. Now, Stephen Covey, he's one of the best time management thinkers out there. Unfortunately, he, he died a few years ago, but he was just one of the best. He points out that, the, cre that um, the creation of systems in pursuit of time management has progressed through four generations in an attempt to solve this problem of lack of fulfillment. Now, these generations build on one another, and in one sense, they're sequential, but at the same time, each of these generations is still around today. So what I want to do is just take you through briefly these four generations and how they've tried to solve this problem and how they may have contributed to solving it in certain ways but also failed in other ways. The first generation of time management was focused primarily on getting organized. The thinking here was that if you can just get everything in order, you will have peace of mind. And the main tools for that generation were lists and reminders, especially the daily to-do list. But then people started to realize that just a daily to-do list is not enough, which led to the second generation, which added calendars and goal setting. People realized you need to keep track of your appointments, and the focus became not only doing what was right before you, but planning ahead, hence calendars and goal setting. Now, giving more thought to the future was a big step forward, but many people soon realized that it wasn't enough just to make commitments and set goals they realized that our plans and goals needed to accord with what matters to us, which brought us to the third generation, which is values clarification. It goes beyond setting goals and, and planning out your calendar to clarifying your values and setting goals that match your values. And that was a huge step forward because what good are your goals if they're out of sync with what matters to you? However, there is a problem here. And the problem is that you can have the wrong values. If you're valuing money, for example, above all things, I'm sorry, that's just a wrong value. That's not going to take you somewhere where you want to go. Not that money is bad, but it should not be prioritized above relationships and certainly not above God. So this is where Stephen Covey comes in, and he introduced what he called principle-centered leadership and principle-centered productivity. And that's the fourth generation. And it says, since you can value the wrong things, what you need to do is go beyond values to principles. And principles are unchanging realities of life. Things like kindness, generosity, justice, truth, and fairness. And Covey pointed out, you need to not just value anything, but value correct principles. And if you value correct principles, then you will have fulfillment and peace of mind. So the guy earlier who had it all, a great family, a great house, and other such things, but didn't have fulfillment, Covey would say he lacked fulfillment because he, he wasn't valuing things 
that were most in sync with correct principles. Now, I think Covey is very much on to something here. And his whole book, First Things First, is really fantastic. And it lays this out. Who can disagree with basing our life on unchanging correct principles such as fairness and generosity? But as I was working on my book, I thought to myself, well, there is something more foundational than even correct principles. And so I propose a fifth generation, which is God-centeredness. We need to not only base our lives on correct principles, but recognize that God is the source of those principles and ultimately base our lives and center them around God. So it's important to understand the concept of having a center. Everyone has a center to their life. The the center of your life is your source of guidance, security, and meaning. So if you are like money-centered, that means your security and meaning in life come from having money. And so if your money is taken away, taken away, your meaning is taken away. So obviously it's bad to center your life on anything that's transient and vulnerable to being taken away. To make God the center of your life is to make God the source of your guidance, security, and meaning. It is to put him first in your life, to regard him as more important than anything else, and to make his glory the aim of your life. It is to do everything you do to please and honor Him and live your life in relationship with Him. And what I propose in this book, again, is going beyond principle-centeredness to God-centeredness. And I just want to give you a few reasons that caring about time management ultimately points us to God, such that people who do care about getting things done would be very rational to give consideration to the claims of Christ. Here are three quick reasons. First, God is foundational to true principles. Where do correct principles come from? They come from God himself. So it doesn't make sense to value principles and stop there. It makes sense to go deeper to the ultimate source of the principles. Second, God ultimately defines what the right things are to get done. So I think a very helpful definition of productivity is getting the right things done. It's not just getting more things done faster. It's getting the right things done. But what are the right things to get done? Well, if God exists and he's the ultimate judge of the universe, the right things to get done are the things that God wants done. So immediately you see, if you care about being productive, you ought to care about what God has to say. Because there's no way to know what the right things are without taking God into account. Third reason, God is what matters most. Another common way of talking about time management is doing what matters most. Has anyone heard that phrase used? And it is a helpful phrase. You do want to accomplish what matters most. But the problem is usually that's left just up to the person to decide. And what matters most is what matters to you. But that runs into the problem again of you can have the wrong values. If God exists, then he is the most valuable person in the universe. He is what matters most. And that means you cannot accomplish what matters most if you forget about God. So a concern to really accomplish what matters most with your life means recognizing God as the center of your life and giving your whole life to Him. How can we be productive if we leave the most important person in the universe out of the picture? 
So what you're seeing here is how a concern for really being productive in the right way naturally points us to God. That's an example of cultural apologetics. Now, let me give you just a few other reasons that we need to center our lives on God. Perhaps the biggest challenger to God-centeredness is self-centeredness, basing our lives on ourselves. There's this blog I enjoy a little bit. I'm subscribed to it by email. It's called Asian Efficiency, and it's about being really efficient. You might have heard of it. And these guys have a lot of good advice. But I was reading a post of theirs the other day, and he was talking about how well his life is going, and I'm just thinking to myself, something big is missing here. Like, I would not want this guy's life, even though everything is going well in his life. And the reason is, God's not a part of his life. And this creates an illusion, and Jesus even calls it the deceitfulness of riches. If you have money, I'm not saying this guy is all about money, and that wasn't the focus of his post, but you can have everything going well for you, but still things really aren't going well for you if God is not a part of the picture. And that's the deceitfulness of riches. Someone can have all the money they need, a great house, a great car, and all of that, and there's this external appearance that their life is in order. But really it's not because God is not at the center. So here are just a few reasons that I think are especially significant for why we need to put God at the center of our time management in lives rather than ourselves. First, we will give an account to God of how we spend our time. In Romans 14, Paul says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. That means we will give an account to God of what we do with our time. That means it's especially important to use our time in the ways that he will approve, which means using our time to glorify him and serve others. Second, excluding God is the ultimate in unproductivity. Jesus makes this awesome statement in Luke 9:25. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? That is the ultimate in unproductivity, gaining the entire world but losing yourself. This is why, in many ways, the Bible is all about productivity. Jesus is saying he's not against productivity. He's against the wrong kind of productivity, the illusory form of productivity where you might have everything going right in this world, but you left God out of the picture. He says that's gaining the whole world but losing yourself in the long run. Third, God offers ultimate productivity. It's amazing the statements of productivity that we find in the Scriptures. When we are productive in Christ and for his sake, the scriptures tell us that everything we do has an eternal impact. Literally everything. In Psalm 1-3 it says, the righteous, of the righteous man, in everything he does, he prospers. In everything he does, he prospers. That's amazing. Or in 1 Corinthians 15-58, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So, nothing that you do for Christ is ultimately unproductive. That is, in vain. This is why it just makes so much sense to me. And I sent a copy, no, I emailed David Allen about the book because he moved to Amsterdam. So I couldn't mail him a copy. Um, but I emailed him with the Amazon link and I said, I think you'd be really interested in this book because it gives a faith-based perspective on productivity. I said, you might not agree with everything, but I think you'd appreciate it just 
for how I try to show how this connects to faith. And someone like David Allen, if he really cares about being productive, wouldn't it make sense then to care about being productive in the ultimate and eternal sense? But how do you get that? Only by living your life for God. Fourth, God answers our need for fulfillment. Augustine said this best. You've made us for yourself. And uh, how exactly does he say that? Our hearts are restless. And thank you. Thank you, Phil. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So there's the answer to time management's quest. Time management, I mentioned at the beginning, can be summed up as the quest to achieve peace of mind and fulfillment. Well, as Augustine points out, you only find that in God. Whereas Jesus puts it, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Never be thirsty again. There's the answer to our quest for peace of mind, the goal of time management. So this is an example of cultural apologetics. Hopefully it can equip you guys to understand how to take a subject that secular people care about and make some pointers to God in that subject. Show how it ultimately points to God. And you can do this with other things in the culture as well. Time management just seemed like an utterly obvious one to do it with as I was working on this book. But now, what's the productivity tip that I want to leave you with? Well, what we've seen here is why, if we care about productivity, we should center our lives on God. And the key to being productive is to know your purpose and organize your life around it. Know your purpose and then organize your life around that purpose. Well, these things exhort us as well as Christians to put God at the center of our lives and keep Him at the center of our lives. So the productivity tip I have for you is to... Keep God at the center of your life. Give Him your whole life. Be all in, not just halfway in. Make Him the center of your life. You're the source of your security and meaning. Not how much money you make. Not how well things are going at work. Not even how well your family is going, as important as that is. Put only God at the center of your life because only God is worth it. And really, that's what worship is. To put something at the center of your life is to bank your whole self on it and that's the meaning of worship. And only God is worth that. So bank your whole life on God and then organize your life around that. Now how do you do that? What's it mean to organize your life around God? It means take God's purposes for you and structure your life to accomplish them. And what are His purposes? The two great commandments. Love God and love others. Love God as I talked in the sermon this morning um, chiefly manifests itself in doing everything as an offering to him to please him and then loving others means love your neighbor as yourself so organize your life to be on the lookout to identify needs that people have and meet those needs and do that in two ways number one spontaneously whenever you see a need meet the need like the good Samaritan who is walking down the Jericho road And he saw the man beat up on the side of the road and he helped him. That man was not part of his plan, not part of his schedule. He saw the need and he met it. And Jesus said, go do likewise. So be on the lookout to meet needs even when they throw off your schedule. 
But then second, create structures in your life that exist to help you do more good for people. Create structures. And that doesn't mean you have to like go to Africa or do difficult and challenging stuff like that. It means just take the roles you already have in your life and do those for the good of others. So at work, do your work for the good of your employer and the good of the customers. And if you're an elder here at the church, do your eldership for the good of the members of the church. And if you're a husband, lead your family for the good of your family. Make the good of others your goal in every vocation, every role, area of life that you have. And then take some time each week to plan your week based around your roles and ask yourself a simple question. How can I serve better this week the people that God has put in my life for each of these roles? So have a simple routine of planning your week based around the question, how can I maximize the good that I do for others? That, in a nutshell, is what it means to organize your life around God and his purposes. And, of course, undergird all of this with prayer. The best summary, here's how I close the book, and this is how I will close tonight, is from Charles Spurgeon. I'll just read this last page here, or it's half a page. Now you've learned why the discipline of personal productivity matters and how to increase your effectiveness in work and life. Use what you've learned for good. Make the goal of your life to show the greatness of Jesus Christ by doing good for others and organize your life around this purpose. Use technology and productivity practices to help you do that. And as you do this in the power of the gospel, the world will change. And as Charles Spurgeon said, let us be on the watch for opportunities of usefulness. Let us go about the world with our eyes and our ears open, ready to avail ourselves of every occasion for doing good. Let us not be content till we are useful, but make this the main design and ambition of our lives. All right. Thanks for coming.